Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we are going to talk to Douglas Preston, author of the true crime thriller, The Monster of Orange. We will also spend some time hearing from Bag of Boys about their new album, Afternooner. Before that, we will chat with Dan Rome, author of The Back of the Napkin, Solving Problems and Selling Ideas in Fiction. First up, though, we will listen and talk with Matt from the Classic Crime, whose new album, Over 4, was released this day, July 2nd. Today is Wednesday, July the 16th. down and listen to Writers and Rockers edition of BC Radio Live. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, and the mysterious live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, button pusher for BC Radio Live and chief geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by Lisa McKay, BC Magazine's executive editor. Hello, Lisa. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, at some point, we hope to be joined by Eric Olson, uh, publisher of BC Magazine, but uh, he appears to be running a bit late tonight, so we'll uh, we'll try to press on without him. Uh, now, Lisa, uh, not to tell tales out of turn, but I, I understand you may uh, you may soon be joining the ranks of uh, the iPhoneers. Yeah, that's actually a matter of some uh, some joking in in my family because I'm sort of the last the last <laughs> Apple holdout here. Yeah, everybody's gone MacBook, but you, huh? Yeah, I've been I've been told that I have finally drunk the Kool Aid. So, well, uh, they're uh, they're beautiful devices. I haven't yet upgraded to uh, to the new 3G generation, but when I do, my wife will also join the uh, the rank of iPhoneers. We're both uh, we're both Mac people here. I'm uh, conducting the show actually on a on a very nice MacBook Pro, and uh, my wife uses a MacBook. And in fact, here in the studio. Uh, for people who are using the uh, the mysterious live video cam, there's also an iMac uh, more or less behind me that uh, has just popped up. So you are running an all Mac household. We are. I used to actually be a home tinkerer, a guy who built my own computers in order to have ultimate and absolute control. Mm-hmm. And um, when I first got the iMac, they ran side by side, and I was kind of hoping I'd use the iMac and the kids would continue to use the Windows computer. Which, in retrospect, just seems the height of folly, and uh, of course, it it didn't work out that way, and that that computer ended up being the one I used until it finally died. Yeah, <laughs> I do have an iPod. That counts, right? Sure, sure. The iPod comes with Apple stickers you can stick on yeah. the back of your vehicle if you're that sort. Yeah, I'm not, but I'm very fond of my iPod. <laughs> I, I read recently that people who stick stickers on their vehicles are more likely to be angry and want to push their views on others, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, well, I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. I think political stickers are the worst because they go yes. out of date the, the minute yeah, oh, the election is over. Exactly. You, you've you got to hope they're made with that really cheap glue that comes off quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Eric or no Eric, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, our first guest tonight is Matt from the band The Classic Crime. Their new album, The Silver Chord, is due to be released this Tuesday, July 20th, and here is a sample from the upcoming album. Right. 
from the album The Silver Chord, which will be available very soon, both in stores and online, I believe. You can find more details at myspace.com slash theclassiccrime. I guess I should say the classic crime. Tonight we welcome to the show uh, Matt, the lead singer. Uh, he's responsible for that album. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Matt. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you on. I, I have to admit, I, I first managed to hear that album. I'd, I'd heard the uh, Abracadavers single, which, which we'll uh, play here in a few minutes on the, on the program, or part of it anyway. Uh, but I actually managed to listen to the whole album for the first time this afternoon. It is That's really good stuff. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, we worked really hard on it, and we hope we hope everyone feels the same as you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course, uh, it's worth noting that uh, I managed to hear my copy for free from your PR people, so let's hope people feel strongly enough about it to buy it, too. That's, that's the important part, right? <laughs> that, that is the key. That is the key. But uh, anyway, at any rate, if they like it, then it's, it's worthwhile to us. Well, uh, I, ha- I have to admit to you that, Eric, you may have overheard our uh, our missing co-host tonight. He normally actually is our musical go-to genius, so I, uh, I, I'm afraid I left a little of the preparation for this interview to him. <laughs> can you can you maybe just tell us a little bit about the silver, uh, uh, I'm sorry, about the classic crime, how long you guys have been a band? Sure. Um, we're, we're from Seattle. Uh, we've been playing for about five years. And uh, this will be our third release, our second full length. Um, we have an EP out as well, an acoustic EP that we put out in November. But uh, this will be our second uh, second full length release. And uh, yeah, man, we're hoping uh, we're hoping people hear it and like it. And that's really all you can do. It's kind of a it's kind of a terrifying thing every time you put out a record, and we're learning right. to cope because it's like you know releasing a baby. <laughs> into the send, wild and send it out into the world to see if it. Uh, I guess the worst thing that could happen is for it to sink without a trace. You'd at least hope to either annoy people right. or intrigue people. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, it's your it's your baby. So hopefully somebody will love it and take care of it um, <laughs> and not let it die. So uh, we're, we're that's what we're hoping for. You guys are on uh, Tooth and Nail Records. I've been following them since they were a a little tiny Christian punk label years and years and years ago. They seem to have gotten a lot bigger. Have you have you been with them for long? No, uh, we actually signed in 2005. Okay. So it's been uh, well, it's coming up on four years. Um, Wow, very nice. But. but yeah, we were uh, we were definitely latecomers. I mean, we're we're uh, still fairly young. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm on I'm on your your team too. I, I remember growing up and, and listening to a lot of Tooth and Nail records. So it was kind of a weird a weird little uh, dream come true when in, when we in fact were were signed to them. But it's one of those things that you uh, I don't know you you can never predict the future. So it was it was cool. I mean. We we definitely have been fans of a lot of uh, Tooth and Nail bands and right, so it's it's cool to be one of them. Very cool. Now you there are uh, five members of the band. How did you uh, come to hook up with uh, Justin, Robbie, Allen, and Skip? Well, uh, Skip and Justin knew each other. That's uh, guitar and, and drums respectively. They knew each other in high school and they moved across uh, the mountains from Wenatchee. To, uh, to Seattle to go to school. Um, they met Alan at school, um, and they met uh, Robbie at the mall. And, uh, <laughs> I, and then they, they had a bunch of songs, and they, uh, they, uh, I'm actually doing an interview right now. The Classic Crime. <laughs> Check it out. The Classic Crime. <laughs> Sorry, man. Some guy's hollering. <laughs> the, ult- the ultimate street team work there. <laughs> yeah, you know. That's, we're DIYing it. That's how we do. Um, but, yeah, uh, I actually answered an ad in the paper, um, which was a weird thing. It's a, The Stranger's a, a, a free paper here in Seattle. Sure. And I, I remember reading all of the uh, all of the um, musicians wanted or in the musicians wanted ads, and, and, and I was looking for people to play my songs. But uh, I showed up for an audition, and, and they had a bunch of songs written, and I was just really excited. And, got to write with those guys and I don't know, five years later we're still here, so maybe maybe we did something right. Maybe maybe they picked the right guys to sing for them. I don't know. 
Now, did uh, so that that first album, then Albatross, that you guys have had out for a while, did that that include all songs that you'd written together, or was it a little bit of a yours and theirs and and some new stuff, or how did that work out? Uh, well, our first record was probably the the most collaborative um, because the the demos we'd done before that had been strictly them or strictly me, and and that was the first record we actually you know took the songs that we we collectively written together and and put them on an album um our our newest record um definitely shows the growth from that um just you know i think we've grown up as people and and uh i think we've allowed each other to expand as far as writing goes some of the other guys in the band have written parts and uh so it's it's a lot more collective now but i mean that's a slow it's, it's a slow process as a band to to slowly get comfortable with the writing writing process. Sometimes it takes years for certain people to come out of their, to really, uh, I don't know, come out of their shells with it. Come out so. of their shells, yeah. Yeah. Now, the, uh, the name of the band is, is a little bit unusual. The, the definite article is, is odd to find these days, the V at the beginning. Um, so yeah. Were they, were, was the band already called the Classic Crime when you joined up, or is that something you guys came up with together? Um, no, they were, they were called something else, but, uh, but we, we changed it, um, because we realized that the sound that we were making, the noise we were making was new and different, and, uh, we, we wanted a, a name that, uh, that you couldn't really stereotype just by hearing it, that right. kind of, you know, w- when you hear the classic crime, you can't say, oh, that's definitely a metal band or a punk band right. or a pop band or whatever, you know, you, you kind of have to listen to it. One gets the impression it's not necessarily an easy listening Frank Sinatra covers band, but I think that's about the only thing you can eliminate. Right. Unless it's in, unless it's I mean it could be Frank Sinatra. Wasn't he involved in crime or, or the <laughs> That's true. The, the classic crime family or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean that would work. That would work for sure. The rat pack so what, crime family. So about the about the new album, it is it is gonna be available this uh this coming Tuesday, right? It's Tuesday, and uh, I just got word today that it's go- it's going to be on sale for uh, $9.99 at, at uh, Best Buy. It's rare you can get Very CDs nice. for, for 10 bucks. actual hard copy Actual CDs. physical media to hold in your hand. And paper, and with words oh, on it. That's right. Yeah, I know. Right. It's strange, but, uh, <laughs> but it's People really People cool ought to do it. Time. Best Buy <laughs> likes to have it, those, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's actually part of a, a Warp Tour kind of promotion because we're going to be on Warp Tour um, after the release, which is a big summer festival tour. Um, and Best Buy's doing a promotion, and and a, and a bunch of Warp Tour CDs are are ten bucks at Best Buy. So that's right. So you're joining you're joining the Warp Tour uh, beginning July 22nd out. There, I'm sorry, beginning July 27th out in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yep. And uh, traveling around, gosh, your MySpace list all the way out through August 17th. So yep. you'll be doing quite a few dates with them. Yeah, about three weeks. Um, we did two weeks back in 2006. So we know Very what to nice. expect. So, But it's <laughs> going to be fun. We, we get to go to Canada again, and that's always a good time. And the kids there are great, and the people there are cool. So we're excited. Very nice. Now the the new album, the Silver Chord. You mentioned that it uh, it represents maybe kind of a more mature or or certainly a new level of uh, of songwriting from you guys. Um, what? T- tell me about the name, the Silver Chord. What what does that mean, if anything? Well, it's actually a literary metaphor um, for for something that connects uh, your physical life to your soul. Right. And when it when it's severed, you die. So it's this perfect picture of the fragility of life, so to speak. I don't even know if fragility is a word, but I keep using it. It, it is it's absolutely. This, it's this it's this tinsel-like silver cord that that is very fragile looking, but that that is the metaphor for the connection between life and death. And and so it, you kind of kind of gets you thinking about mortality and how fleeting life is, and how much you know we have to make the most of it and so I mean, this whole record, the, every song on the record is kind of inspired or flows out of that idea, and uh, and so you, you know you could say it's probably along the lines of a concept record, 
but um, we did our best not to keep it two-dimensional so so that there is, you know, some meaning other than just the basic two-dimensional uh, story. But Well, I have to admit, it rang a little bit of a chord uh, for me, and so I, uh, I looked it up earlier, and uh, I know that, that one of the earliest references to it, I, it, it does pop up a few times in, you know, very specifically in metaphysical literature, people talking about the connection of spirit and body. But one of the first right. references I, I note is, uh, is from Ecclesiastes. And right. so it is, yeah, the idea of the, the spirit being tied to the body, an interesting idea. Right. Very good. Yeah. So what are uh, what are the plans? Have you guys thought about your plans beyond the release of this album, or you just basically play your heart out on tour and, and, and think later? <laughs> you know, it's really it's really all you can do these days. Um, it's just, you know, we, we definitely, we live in, a, in an era that basically we do this because we love it. There really is no money or fame or fortune. It's basically we play music for the sake of playing music and you know, we can get you can get your you can get in the right headspace, you can really enjoy it. If you get in the wrong headspace you're kind of starting to get paranoid about the numbers and the business side of things and sure. what's gonna happen next and where's our future and and then you can really stop enjoying it. So what right. we try to do is just uh you know, write songs we like and then play them on stage and try to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, as many times I, as possible. <laughs> you you mentioned uh, touring with the Warped Tour uh, a couple of years ago. I guess probably following up the release of your uh, your first album. Right. Um, how much touring have you guys done together over the last five years? Well, uh, to be specific, we've done about 160,000 miles. Wow. In uh, two and a half between two and a half and three years, two and a half years. Is that, is that all North America, or have you crossed any oceans yet? All North America. We've, we've yet to uh, jump the <laughs> pond, so to speak. Well, let's, so. uh, let's hope that this album actually finally uh, takes you overseas. We'd love to. I mean, we, we keep hearing uh, comments from people from different countries um, in Europe and in South America and Australia and and they, you know, they're really encouraging and saying, oh, come over here. <laughs> right. We would love to. We're just waiting for the opportunity. So uh, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully this record uh, opens up some doors over there. Very nice. Yeah, I was looking through your, uh, your MySpace webpage, and uh, let me give that address again. That's just myspace.com slash theclassiccrime. There end up being a, a, a lot of C's in there. So it's the classic crime. I have to pause in order to get all of that out. I'm going to do my vocal warm-ups again. But you've uh, you've got quite a bit of stuff on there um, that shows the different organizations you're involved with, gives details on the tour. People can try to check you out. I, I suspect most people who are going to show up on the Warp Tour are going to show up for uh, more than, ju than just to see you guys. But I hope you pick up lots of new fans that way. Yeah, uh, that's the cool thing about Warp Tour is that you can – you can be watching a punk rock show um, and then walk 50 feet and see a hardcore metal show and walk 50 feet and see a hip-hop show and walk 50 feet and see a rock show. And That's a cool thing. It's really warped, and I think it goes, <laughs> it goes along with the name a little bit. So, I mean, I, it, that's, that's really the, the ideal place to be, to pick up fans outside of, of your genre or to, or to connect with, with people who wouldn't necessarily give you a chance in in uh, a different situations. So we're happy to be there. <laughs> Great. All right, well, let's, uh, let me play another sample. Um, that uh, the, the song that we played earlier, actually, it doesn't look like it's anywhere on your MySpace. I guess we can call that one an exclusive pre-release. Um, yeah. But the next, the next song I've got a sample of, I've got about a minute, minute and a half or so, I think it is, of uh, Abracadavers. Is there anything you want to say about this song? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it goes along with the theme of the record. Uh, the song's about, uh, it's a little bit morbid. It's about um, dead bodies. It's inspired by the uh, the bodies exhibit, which was traveling around, and it still is, uh, where you can see plasticized mm -hmm. flesh and bodies uh, put up in display, and you can kind of see the inner workings of, of people. But this song is kind of um, it's about the thoughts that that, 
kind of triggers, you know, when you witness something like that and thoughts about mortality and about, you know, purpose and, and why we're here. And um, so that's, that's, that's your little uh, preface to the song, I guess. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, take a listen. It's like a never end time to look away. Cadavers from the classic crime, the first single from their new album, The Silver Chord. Uh, do check it out at myspace.com slash theclassiccrime and look for them on the Warped Tour beginning next week. Now, you may notice, Matt, that we're, uh, we're keeping you on the line a little longer than you probably expected. Uh... <laughs> I actually have no idea what to expect. Yeah, the truth is I'm in line myself for uh, the... Uh... The uh, the Dark Knight. It's like a, a private screening here in Seattle, yeah, and uh, my wife uh, got got some tickets from her work. So our, I was actually sitting here in line for two hours, uh, making sure I'm I'm getting in. So this is helping me pass the time. So very nice. Well, that's good. Let's yeah. uh, let's pass the time for a few more minutes then until uh, either you end up having to get into the theater or uh, or uh, we uh, move on to uh, our third guest since our second guest has apparently decided to fall through. I, I'm okay. actually going to catch The Dark Knight tomorrow night at midnight myself, and I know that my co-host Lisa is now already itching for me to write a review. Am I right, Lisa? I am. I may catch it myself this weekend. Oh, very nice. <laughs> very nice. I get pestered because I, I try to catch the uh, midnight premieres of a lot of movies, and then I usually can't be bothered to write a review of it. And here I am, uh, you know, I'm like the uh, the tech geek for BC Magazine here, and you would think that I would have, Every now and then, try by hand at doing what it is we ask all of our writers to do. <laughs> oh well. Well, you just gotta get the you just gotta get the private screening uh, tickets. Oh, it's, that's it's a lot true. Easier. It's seven o'clock. Yeah, but see, they don't, the they don't tend to be at, they don't tend to be at midnight though. See, the midnight is actually beneficial because I've got young kids and going to see movies after they go to bed. Uh, <laughs> that's very helpful. Right. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, well, everybody has their own thing. Now, when uh, when this when this new album comes out on Tuesday, uh, will it be available directly through your MySpace? I noticed that you have uh, the older album available there now, the Albatross album. Yeah. So will it be uh, added there as well, or? Uh, it should be. Actually, I'm I'm surprised because I was checking the other day and and there wasn't our acoustic EP either. But uh, but you're talking about the snow cap window yes. there, right? Yes. Where you can okay. purchase it. Correct. Yeah, you can you, you should be able to purchase it there and, and also iTunes, Amazon, smartpunk.com, um and like I said, Best Buy. Best uh, Buy for ten dollars. Ten dollars hard copy, <laughs> can't beat it. <laughs> Got pictures. Yeah. You, you have, you have full lyrics full lyrics in there? Full lyrics and color pictures. You can't beat it. It's just a very nice screaming deal. There was a trend there in albums for a while to not bother with the full lyric sheet, but I think that uh, the the rise of online illegal file sharing has caused uh, most labels to go back to thinking, how can we provide some sort of benefit to the physical media? So that's yeah, that's good. Full well, lyrics. That's always been 
that's always been my favorite part of of getting a. I mean, maybe that's uh, they, they say there's two kinds of people: people who listen to music only, and people who listen to the lyrics. And I'm definitely one of the people who listen to lyrics mostly because that's what I do. But sure, it's, uh, it's it, that was my favorite part of of the, or is my favorite part of, about discovering a new band is kind of reading along and and kind of really getting into it. You know, the music so. There's the whole experience of unpackaging it. Now, admittedly, I don't like getting those little scrapey silver sticker things they put on those packages. It drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, once, once you get past those stickers, though, I mean, it's a it's a whole experience getting it all unwrapped, the smell of the plastic, you know. Let's see, I've got a whole stack of CDs sitting right here in the studio. You could just, oh, yes, the smell of that plastic, it's... Uh, you know, the unfolding of the paper, trying to figure out what all is included. I mean, I, I think that's worth 10 bucks. Yeah, that's, that's you know, to me, me, me too. But maybe maybe uh, you and I are both too old. We don't know <laughs> that, uh, that it's just not worth all that to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently not. Apparently not. How old are you, Matt? I'm 25, so I'm not, uh, you know, not at all middle-aged yet. But No, not uh, at all. I definitely, I definitely feel like, I definitely feel like I'm becoming more and more out of touch with the, uh, the way things are going as far as oh, switching over to a, a digital format. Right. I, I've actually been uh, contemplating getting a, starting a record collection. <laughs> An actual LP collection, huh? An actual vinyl LP collection because those, those seem to be kind of coming back, and you know, CD players are on the way out, but. Uh, but apparently vinyl's better quality, and if you're going to have a hard copy of something, why not make it a big old hard copy of something you can put on your wall and yeah, uh, not I, lose? I, I think the only piece of vinyl I have right now, I mean, I guess my kids may have some records or something, but the only piece of vinyl I think I have right now is, is uh, Joshua Tree by U2. Ah. And that's a treasured possession. Well, <laughs> if you don't want it, you can send it on over. No, 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 no. It's fine. I think I'll... I think I'll hang on to that one. It's it's definitely a treat for me. <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my favorite albums of all time. So now yeah, we've, hang on know, to that we've, one. We've had a uh, we've had a lot of bands on uh, you know a lot of especially younger bands. I guess we, we've mixed it up a bit. We've had a lot of younger bands on, and it it, it seems that that it kind of across the spectrum. How, how involved are you guys in your day to day management of yourselves versus how much of it? Uh, do you depend on the label to do? We are probably 99% involved in that. Okay. Um, and that's, and that's kind of normal. I mean, uh, right. You, more you, and more, you, that seems to be the case. More and more. Yeah. And, and I think we kind of like it that way. That way we can dictate what moves we want to make and, and what we want to do and, and not kind of be puppets and be told what to do. Um, but yeah, it's the whole the whole uh, format, the whole system, the whole structure has been broken down and simplified at the label side. So um, definitely, it puts more of the workload on the band. But I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think it. I think in the end, it's a good thing for us. Sure. Well, uh, I'm going to let you get back to to sitting in line to get into uh, the dark night. But uh, thanks very much for talking with us tonight. I hope your uh, your debut goes well. Well, thank uh, you. It's actually, it's actually perfect timing. The line's moving right now. So. Very good. Thanks, thanks for having me on. No problem. The, uh, the website is myspace.com slash, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, the website is myspace.com slash theclassiccrime, and uh, you can find all sorts of information there about their CD release party this coming Tuesday. Uh, they're doing something in a couple of days, actually up in the Seattle area, and of course they'll be jumping on the Warped Tour, so look for them there. And it's been a pleasure talking. Uh, you are listening to BC Radio Live, a weekly live radio show from BC Magazine at blogcritics.org. I am your announcer, Philip, and my co-host tonight is Lisa McKay. The new album from Bag of Toys is called Afternooner, and here is a single from that album. This is Smile So Wide.
I got some luck last night, you could take a bite Met a little cutie, she was looking for a ride Now who am I not to oblige When the crazy little lady goes and hops inside I got my pants on the table, got my shield on the floor She's ripping off her clothes and that's some girl you can't ignore She's knocking down that freaking door So damn, my girl, that's how they gonna give me some more Now baby, I got the big old bag, she pulls under the door And I wonder what exactly that she got for me in store Brave, man, it won't be painful someday we'll see Nah, 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 I got the smile so wide Everybody's gonna, gonna party inside I got the smile so wide Oh, gonna come, gonna come inside I got the smile so wide Everybody's talking about a climbing inside I got the smile so wide Ever gonna, ever gonna, ever gonna get inside I got the drip, drip, drop, drop, checking out the mountains up the only thing I'm thinking about it, checking out the... That was Smile So Wide, the lead single from the new album Afternooner, which is uh, now available on iTunes as well as other online music stores. The band is Bag of Toys, and their website is myspace.com slash bagoftoysmusic. Welcome to BC Radio Live. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Who do we have on the line? is uh, Steve Calio, lead guitar player. Great. Well, it's good to talk to you, Steve. Yeah, thanks um, a lot for having me on. No problem. Now, we actually uh, normally, uh, we, have a, we have another co-host who uh, does handle a lot of our, our musical stuff, more musically versed than I am, I'm afraid to say. And uh, for whatever reason, either technical difficulties or, or something else, I'm not sure, um, he's not here. So I'll, I'll apologize for that and uh, try to fill in where I can. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's good to have you on anyway. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm I'm excited to be here, no matter what. Very good. Well, tell us a little bit about um, about Bag of Toys. Then, how, how long have you guys been together as a band? We have been together for gosh, I think about four years now, and okay. we are based out of San Francisco. Right, and we. Just released our second album, which I think you just played uh, the new single, Smile So Wide. I think you guys just ran a little bit of that. That's right. Yeah, so new CD just came out. Pretty excited. Now, your first first album was called Nooner, (laughs) and so now your new album is called After Nooner. Now, how how many albums do you expect you can keep that naming convention up for? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Actually, a friend of mine just the other day I uh, was saying that we should just keep going all the way throughout the day until we get to happy hour and then eventually uh, <laughs> closing time and after party. <laughs> so I think Very we still nice. got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. See how far well, we make it, though. It uh, saves you a little bit of trouble on, on uh, album naming. You can focus on uh, the music and the, the songs themselves rather than have to deal with the whole overall marketing. Exactly. <laughs> Focused creativity, I suppose. Very nice. Now, you guys uh, are you guys going to be touring soon? It looks like doing a little bit of local touring, anyway. Yeah, we're doing some local touring right now. Uh, we actually are about to head down a little mini tour through Southern California in a couple weeks. Um, hopefully, sometime later this year or next year, we'll be able to head out on some national touring. Very nice to promote the uh, promote the album. Are now is it? Uh, also going to be uh, available. You're going to get some uh, physical distribution on the album as well. Upcoming. Yeah, we're actually going to be in uh, Best Buy stores coming up pretty there. soon, which we're pretty excited about. And um, you know, physical CDs are available through CD Baby. Mm-hmm. You have to go online to order those, and of course, we're up on iTunes and uh, all that stuff. Well, tell us a little bit about the uh, the theme, or I, you know, I guess maybe there there isn't quite a, a, a you know one one overarching theme for the whole album. But what what are some of the issues that you were uh, you were trying to cover in, on the Afternooner album? You think yeah, a you're wide right. Variety of songs. There's not really, you know, it's it's certainly not a concept album, or a uh, <laughs> you know we didn't we didn't write a rock opera or anything. But uh, <laughs> so I don't know if there's one theme that's uh, kind of a common thread through all the songs, but I think we really just wanted to write an album. Basically, our, our big goal was just to write a, an album that we would like to listen to if we were you know, at a backyard barbecue with some friends, 
you know, or at a party or something like that. It's basically just music you'd want to put on when you're having a good time. It's not too serious. Um, you know, just good good time, crack a beer, sit in the sun, go to the beach, that kind of thing. Now, do you, um, you know, I noticed that your your website, for example, lists a few sounds like and influences. I, I actually thought of a completely different sounds like, and since it wasn't listed, I, I'm almost afraid to mention how much you guys remind me, or I should say you guys, but uh, how much the uh, style reminds me of Jason Mraz and uh, that sort of very you know, clever, deft, uh, lyricism, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, musically all kind of, uh, all over the place, uh, you know, definitely very versatile that way, but the, the, the lyricism seems to be, be consistently clever all throughout your, uh, your album. So I, I hope you take that as a compliment. That's certainly how I intend it. <laughs> yeah, I do. He's, he's a really talented guy. So, uh, we, we do take that as a compliment. Oh, very good. Very good. Now, how when you guys uh, how do you guys end up writing songs? There are uh, four members of the band. Is it something you guys split up or work together on? Yeah, uh, Bob Tate is our singer, and he and I are the primary songwriters. Although he writes, um, you know, probably ninety five percent of of the lyrics. Uh, you know, his he's just got a gift for coming up with. Uh, memorable lyrical melodies and lyrical hooks and that kind of thing. So we don't really want to mess with that a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> see, the the only song there's there's one track on the new album that I sing lead vocals on. That's called She Said, and I read the lyrics for that. But Bob has written the lyrics for I think every other song that we've recorded. Uh, but as far as uh, writing the music, that's something that he and I primarily take care of. Although there's a lot of input too from Joe Shavy, who's our bass player, and Robert Sadler, our drummer. Now, how did you guys come together as a band? You know, we actually all met through uh, Craigslist. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, Specifically, a uh, seeking members of a band uh, area, or yeah, we always kind of joke around, uh, tell people we met on Casual Encounters, but uh, there's actually <laughs> a <laughs> there's a musicians posting up there. Right. Um, and so Tate and I, uh, Robert Tate, our singer, we mm-hmm. both had posts going at the same time maybe about four years ago. And I went into work one day and logged on to uh, just, you know, check the, check the website, and I actually saw a post that I thought was mine, and I didn't remember posting that day, and it turned out to be Bob's, and it was almost identical to the post that I had been running. So, um, you know, I responded to that, and he and I got together, and uh, jammed and decided to start the band, and then we just kind of held open aud- auditions and kept running through bass players and drummers, and we're lucky enough to find Joe and uh, Robert. But it was so the idea is that with, su- with such similar approaches to uh, Craigslist, how could you not be compatible, right? <laughs> yeah, although you'd be surprised. We ran, we ran through some weirdos to uh, find each other. It's definitely, it's it's kind of like it, I think it's probably a lot like internet dating. Like you never really know <laughs> who you're gonna run in into. In your case, it was uh, it was men seeking men for musical madness or something yes. like that. <laughs> Non-sexual <laughs> musical madness. There you go. Yeah. Hey, I'm not here to judge. You know, you could. No, no, no. We, we won't even try to start that rumor. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, we, uh, I'm glad that we've had a chance to to talk with you some. I do wish that we had a little more time than we do. Let's we can try to spend a couple of more minutes, but the the schedule has gotten a little bit whacked around on tonight's show. So um, we'll we'll see what we can do now. Um, being based in San Francisco, do you think that that has? Uh, do you have any idea about whether that's helped or hindered your your musical career? You know, I don't think it certainly hasn't helped. And we've <laughs> talked we've talked quite a bit about relocating to Southern California, although I don't think that's something we're going to do in the immediate future. But, you know, for a couple reasons. The kind of music that we play isn't incredibly popular up here. It's a little bit more of kind of an underground indie rock scene here. Right. Uh, You know, whereas you you head down to Southern California and it seems like every other bar you walk into has, you know, some kind of, um, you know, ska, punk, surf type band playing. So, Sure. Uh, you know, we kind of, we kind of feel like we're a little bit out of the scene and a little bit out of the way, but um, you know, we like it up here, so 
we're going to try to make it work for now, and, and so far things are going pretty well. Well, as long as you keep uh, as long as you keep touring in Southern California, you can hopefully still get your name out, get some sympathetic audiences. <laughs> sure. <laughs> things things aren't that hardcore in uh, in San Francisco, are they? No, no, not that hardcore. But there just there aren't a whole lot of bands that sound like us up here in in terms of okay. sim- similar genres. Whereas right. down there, there's a million and one, so it's a lot easier to find, uh, you know, to fill out bills and, and find other bands to sure. play with and that kind of thing. So, uh, sure. know, but yeah, we're we're doing we're doing very well up here. We're we're really happy living in, in San Francisco. A bit a bit out opening for metal bands or or things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I only have the one uh, the one single to play for you guys tonight. I wish I had a little bit more to play of your your music. I've listened to a couple more songs just on your MySpace, and actually, uh, it's it's right up my alley. So I've I've made a note to uh, to buy it, but hopefully, when it comes out on physical media, that's the main reason I asked that question. I uh, I tend to be a physical disc kind of guy, so if you're going to be in Best Buy, then then so will I. Do you have any idea when that's going to happen? You know, I'm not exactly sure. That's that's in the works right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, it should be happening sometime in the next couple months. But if you you know shoot us an email to our space uh, to our MySpace page and uh, tell you what, we'll shoot you over a complimentary copy. We're, <laughs> we're such magnanimous guys. I appreciate it. The uh, the band is called Bag of Toys, and uh, please do check out their web space at myspace.com slash bagoftoysmusic. Add the music at the end. I actually haven't tried it without the music, but I'm assuming you end up some wrong place if you if you don't put the music on there. Right, well, it's, it's just, bag of to- yeah, Bag of Toys music. It's just an invalid friend ID without the music, so be sure you put the music on there. Um, yeah, so the website is myspace.com slash music. You can listen to a few different songs in the player there. You can order the albums online and uh, check out the tour dates if you're in, say, Monterey, San Diego, Long Beach, Hermosa Beach, Brentwood, or, uh, of course, right there in San Francisco. Well, uh, thank you very much for chatting with us tonight, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Okay. Well, as we move into the home stretch... Uh, sprinting toward the finish line. This is uh, BC Radio Live, a weekly production from blogcritics.org, hosted uh, tonight by Lisa and Philip. That's me. Author Douglas Preston has written a few thrilling works of fiction, and his latest book has quite a bit in common with those novels, but there is one crucial difference. Uh, The story happens to be true. The monster of Florence was a real-life serial killer stalking and mutilating Italian lovers from uh, roughly 1968 to 1985, if I've got that right. The story unfolds with many twists and turns along the way, but in the end, uh, well, maybe maybe we'll get to that. The book is called The Monster of Florence, and it was chosen by Amazon as the best book of June 2008. It is available right now, and with us right now is the author, Douglas Preston. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Douglas. That's good to be on the show. Well, uh, it's uh, it's good to talk to you. I, I always enjoy talking to novelists uh, more than uh, musicians, simply because I I've read more or it's just what am I saying? I've I've written more than I've played or written more stories than I have songs. <laughs> I feel I feel I can understand and relate to books a little better. Well, that's good. You, well, I've, I'm not not much of a musician myself, although I'd love to be one, but. I think I'd drive away any of your listeners if I tried to play. <laughs> well, I guarantee you I would. <laughs> now, you um, you moved to Florence. Not, I mean, did you not know anything about this uh, this case before moving to Florence? Is that right? No, I I never knew. I I'd never heard of it, and uh, I'd always wanted to live in Florence. I had a dream of that with my wife and our two kids. We moved there some years ago. And I was going to write a novel, a thriller set in Italy. Mm-hmm. But uh, then I discovered that the olive grove outside of our beautiful villa that we'd rented in the hills outside of Florence had been the scene of one of the most horrific double homicides in Italian history. Wow. And uh, my, I have to say my wife was not too pleased to learn about that, and I was <laughs> a little puzzled as to why the real estate agent hadn't mentioned that when we were renting the house. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I... Uh, you know, being a, a thriller writer, I was very intrigued, and that's how I learned about this in, just horrifying serial killer 
known as the Monster of Florence. Now, I, I found a, a little bit of conflicting information. I know that the last uh, pair of lovers that was murdered was in 1985, uh, so this is a you know 23 year old case in there, um, but it actually started. I mean, this, this we're talking about a serial killer who killed. Uh, is it 14 people? That's right. Yeah, he killed uh, lovers, people making love in parked cars in the hills of Florence. And one of the things about Italy is that most people live with their parents until they're married, and they generally right. get married late. And so making love in parked cars is sort of a national pastime. They they say that something like <laughs> A third of all Florentines were conceived in the back of a parked car. So the <laughs> so the monster preyed on these people, and he would murder the couple, and then he would perform a ritualistic mutilation on the woman, which oh. is very disturbing and very psychopathic. So, and it's it's the longest and most expensive criminal case in Italian history. Over a hundred thousand men have have been examined. And wow. the monster has never been identified. Interesting. And now, but this is a relatively, I mean, you didn't know about it. I had certainly never heard of it. But it, it's a well enough known case that, um, you know, other authors have, have used some of the elements of the case in, the, in their work, uh, you know, maybe as the basis for thrillers of their own. Um, yes, it, it was, it's been mined very heavily by a number of authors, uh, most notably Thomas Harris, who actually based Hannibal Lecter on the monster of Florence, and he uh, attended one of the trials of the accused. The person was acquitted and clearly innocent, but he was very interested in the case, and a lot of this went into his novels. Now, now the, the interesting thing to me about all of this is that, uh, you know, I would think that as a thriller writer, moving to that area and learning more of that story, uh, wouldn't your first reaction be, hey, here's a great basis for a new fictional thriller? Um, and, and yet that's not, that's not what you actually did. You, you actually dug into the case and, and actually moved the case forward. Well, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's interesting you should bring that up because when I first heard this story, I, I was completely blown away. It was so outrageous and so improbable that I thought, if anyone proposed this as a novel, no publisher would accept it and the readers wouldn't believe it. They'd say, that's ridiculous. Nothing like this could happen in real life. But So the incredible thing about it was that it was a true story with all the elements of the most fantastical and improbable fiction. And yet every word was true. And wow. um, I teamed up. I found the Italian journalist who had covered the case from the beginning. He was a crime writer for La Nazione, which is the, 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 um, you know, the large daily newspaper in Tuscany. And okay. he knew everything about the case. I mean, he'd followed it from the beginning. He'd been at the scene of the first murder, actually the first one there before the police arrived, because oh. he actually knew how to get there. The police got lost trying to find the place. <laughs> and, uh, and I sat down with him over coffee, and he told me the story. And, I mean, I, I consider myself a connoisseur of dark stories. I mean, that's what I do for a living. I write thrillers. Sure. I had never heard a story like this. I was completely blown away. And I said to this guy, look, Mario, we have got to write this up for an American audience. I mean, we'll do a magazine article. And, you know, because America, Americans have never heard this story. Right. Yeah, I mean, this, it, it kind of boggles the mind that, that this, this guy managed to, to do away with uh, seven couples and uh, I mean that, that's that's pretty scary. You get far fewer murders than that, and we uh, we turn on these nationwide panics. Of course, I guess now we've got 24-hour news channels to help uh, aid and abet our panic. Yeah, uh, back in right. the uh, 70s and 80s, we didn't have those. That might have helped. Well, I think people <laughs> like to be panicked. You know, I think there's a certain frisson that people get out of cases like this. But with a monster case, it wasn't even panic. It was absolute terror. I mean, it actually. Uh, changed Florence. I talked to many Florentines who said, you know, the, the generation that came of age when the monster was killing people was affected. And you know, people said to me, you know, we were changed by this. Florence will never be the same. You know, it completely huh. changed us. It, it, I'd be curious to know whether the birth rate actually dropped during those years. Well, in fact, it did. I mean, actually, the birth rate in Italy has been dropping precipitously overall, so I don't know if. Uh, 
if that's a valid statistic. But yes, the birth rate dropped dramatically during his killings and never recovered. Interesting. People people not wanting to spend that time out in the back seats until they were absolutely sure the monster was uh, was gone one way or the other. It was a strange, you know, there are a lot of strange and bizarre aspects to the investigation. After the first couple was killed, the Italians discovered that there was this bizarre underworld that existed among them that they had no idea had existed. And it consisted of voyeurs. Because mm-hmm. so many you know, young kids were going up into the hills and making love in parked cars, there were literally hundreds, if not thousands, of voyeurs who prowled the hills. And some of these people had sophisticated suction cup microphones and night vision goggles, and they'd record you know, the, the sex scenes, and they'd actually buy and sell uh, lovers' lanes. You know, certain places were really good for getting close to cars because there was brush right near where the cars parked. They actually had a, had a, um, a tavern that they went to. They called them Indiani, by the way, which in Italian means Indians because they crept around in the dark. They had, a, <laughs> they, they had a tavern that they went to where they'd actually swap places and buy and sell. You know, they'd actually bid on, on these places where they'd watch lovers. I have dibs on the third bush from the left. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. So the Italians were really horrified to learn that this existed. And then they thought, well, the, the killer must be one of these voyeurs. So they arrested a voyeur, and he made, you know, told them a bunch of lies about where he was that night. Of course, he didn't want to tell them the truth because he was embarrassed. So they arrested him as the monster. They put him in jail, and then the monster struck again. Right. And had to release him. He had a pretty good alibi at that point. He did. In fact, it, it soon became apparent that the monster was waiting for someone to be arrested and put in jail, and then he would kill again and humiliate the police and force them to have to release their suspect. And do you think that that has something to do with the way the police ended up treating you and your uh, partner when you were when you resumed this investigation? Yes, and um, you know, to the. The, the, the craziest thing was that our investigation, I mean, Mario and I decided he had so much information. I said, look, you know, we can identify this killer. I, mm-hmm. I really think we can. And he actually had some suspects in mind. And we, you know, really believed that we identified a man who was the monster of Florence. And as good journalists, we went to him and we interviewed him and we asked him in the end of the interview, are you the monster of Florence? And... uh well, his, his response was um, pretty much not repeatable in public. But uh, <laughs> it was a very chilling interview because he was a very handsome, smiling guy, you know, very rough, working-class charm. He kind of reminded me of the young De Niro. And he, mm. he never stopped smiling, even when he realized where we were going with our interview. He never stopped smiling, even when we said, are you the monster of Florence? He said, no. He shook his head. I'm sorry, I can't give you that scoop. And then he said something that is unrepeatable. It's, it's in the book. You have to buy the book if you want to know what he's right, right. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm trying to trying to not give away too much of the ending yeah. here. Didn't want to. <laughs> I wasn't sure how much you wanted to say. But the but, but but, I, well, sorry, what, what happened was well, I was just going to say that our invest. I was kind of in a roundabout way getting back to your very interesting question. Our investigation went very much against the police's theories about this case. Their theory was that this was not a psychopathic killer, but was actually a satanic sect, a group of people who were killing because they needed body parts for their black masses. And this was their way of explaining why, for example, the killings continued even when they had people that they were sure were responsible in jail. Exactly, and also it explained why the monster, he mutilated the women in a very peculiar way and took away organs. So. So the police were not happy with our investigation where we said, look, this is a lone psychopath. All the evidence, all the forensic evidence at the sites point to a single person. All the medical, you know, the medical examiners, everyone, you know, all the forensic experts said that there was never more than one person at the scene of the murder. Mm -hmm. And this really irritated them. And how irritated they were didn't become apparent to me until I was walking down the streets of Florence. I I actually went out one morning to get my wife a cappuccino to bring back to her in the room, the apartment, Mm -hmm. and my cell phone rang, and a voice speaking Italian said, this is the police, where are you, we are coming to you right now, don't move. (laughs) 
this is not exactly what you like to hear in a strange country. <laughs> no, no. And they came and they got me and they interrogated me and they accused me of heinous crimes. Um, they actually demanded I confess to a crime that I hadn't committed, I mean, a crazy series of crimes, including being an accessory to murder. It was nice. unbelievable what they accused me. And I was thinking in this interrogation that I would never see my wife and kids again. I really thought that. I thought, they're going to haul me out of here in handcuffs. And when I refused to confess to the you know, crimes that I hadn't committed, they did, in fact, indict me for perjury right on the spot. They don't have the Fifth Amendment in Italy, so I, I don't have right. the option of you know, saying I won't answer your questions. Although I was innocent, I, there was no reason for me not to answer them. They indicted me for perjury. They indicted me for a whole string of crimes. And then they suggested that it might be the best thing for me to leave Italy and not come back. Now, how well did. did you how how well did you speak Italian at this point? Well, I, I spoke it fairly well. I mean, the interrogation was conducted in Italian without an interpreter and no lawyer, and you know I understood enough to know that I was in deep deep trouble. And uh, so yeah, my my wife and I and our two kids we left Italy within 24 hours. And I'm not going <laughs> to wow. mess around with that kind of. So my revenge was I wrote a book about it. And you were still in. Uh, you were still in communication then with Mario Spezzi, or I was. I was very worried for him. We actually became very good friends. He's a wonderful journalist, a man of incredible courage. And what they did to him was a lot worse than what they did to me. I was the right. lucky guy. He right. was unlucky, and he's really. I mean, what happened to him? He's scarred for life. What they did to him. Yeah. You were given 24 hours to get out of the country. He he faced a he faced a bit worse treatment at the hands of the authorities. Yeah, they they arrested him and they put him in prison and they treated him with unspeakable. Uh, uh, it was terrible what they did to him. So in the end, um, well, gosh, I don't want to I don't want to give away anything. I, I suppose in the end, uh, I don't know. Maybe do you want to say on a scale of one to ten, how satisfied are you with? Uh, the outcome of, of this whole project? Well, you know, the, as a person, I'm very dissatisfied. I mean, dissatisfied isn't the word. I'm very disheartened and really shocked that a Western European country like Italy has such a dysfunctional criminal justice system. Right. Um, but as a writer, I have to say that I'm. it, it was the most amazing story. I, I think, you know, if you're a writer and one great story comes your way in a lifetime, you're a lucky mm -hmm. person. Right. And I feel that I'm a very lucky person because this is certainly the greatest story that has come my way ever. I'll never find a story like this again. A true so this story. Is, this is it. If you, if you could never write another thriller, you would feel this is your, uh, your life's work here? Well, I, I do. I mean, I've written a lot of novels, um, and I've written some nonfiction books, too. I've written both, and I'm proud of them all, but... Uh, this is something exceptional. This is in a different category. Yeah, you've written a series, the the Special Agent Pendergast novel, Pendergast, I guess. Is that's right. Yeah, that's right. Good. Thank you. I have yeah. I have read a couple of those. Um, I read, uh, gosh, what was it? Uh, Reliquary. I'm trying to remember. And Relic, I think, were. Oh yeah, a couple Relic. Of the ones I've read. Yeah, they made that into a. A movie that wasn't so hot, but uh, I yeah I, I try not to see I try not to see those kinds of movies. I'm trying to read it from across my office right here. <laughs> yeah, Relic and Reliquary are the two I have on my uh, my office shelf here. Well, it's, well, I, well, I commend your fine taste in literature. <laughs> very very good. Well, uh, the book is called The Monster of Florence, and it is available wherever, of course, the best of books are sold, including uh, a link from blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. And uh, thank you very much to Douglas Preston for appearing on the show with us tonight. Well, it's great to be on the show. I, I hope you have the best of sales. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, we, uh, we have run out of time again this week. Uh, thanks again to Douglas Preston, who was just on with us, and also to Steve from Bag of Toys, and to Matt from the Classic Times for talking with us earlier in the show. Hopefully we can connect with you we missed earlier. And, of course, as always, a big thanks to Jason McKay for helping me host the show. It's always good to have you. I am Philip Wynn. This has been DC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night on the 
guys to participate in the chat room and watch that marvelous, fantastic, and amazing live video. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives, or a bit of online, or you can subscribe to the podcast and have